Welcome to the Big Picture with Parky podcast. This is a series of podcasts where we will discuss a wide variety of topics and provide a rather different perspective from our experiences serving UK customers at NatWest. My name is Duncan McCabe from the UK Corporate FX Sales Team. Today I am joined by Richard Turner from the Financial Institutions FX Sales Desk, Neil Parker, our FX Market Strategist, and we welcome back again Ben Nicklin from our FX Structuring Team. The second podcast in this series, we are going to discuss how markets digest information, specifically data releases. Parky, I'll hand over to you first. Um, perhaps you can give a bit of a history on um, your experiences with data releases um, from your time in work. Yeah, thanks, Duncan. I think that's a, a pointed way of saying that I'm older than everybody else on this call, although I think with uh, with Ben, there might be only a slight difference in, in age. But, but yeah, in terms of the sort of 25 years plus that I've spent in the financial markets, things have changed materially in terms of the way in which we look at data. So going back to when I first joined, it was very much the case that we'd focus on things like trade data. Trade data was extraordinarily important. Um, so was the sort of retail sales and activity data. So was jobs data uh, and uh, clearly monetary policy decisions as well. If you think back sort of 25, 26 years ago, then we were looking at a different landscape as far as, as A, how things were released, um, but also how they were then digested by those monetary policy authorities uh, to make up a decision for monetary policy going sort of some uh, uh, two to three years or, or which would affect rather two to three years down the line in terms of economic activity. So those were the key indicators then. Now it's very much more about those government and central bank announcements, but they tend to be better trailed. It's also very much the case that jobs data has a much larger footprint as far as market interest is concerned than it had back 25 years ago. Things like PMIs, purchasing managers in disease, or survey data, and I can think of the German ZEW or IFO indices seem to have a very big uh, impact. And instead of it being trade data, it's now about trade agreements, clearly because of recent events. So there has been a material landscape change in terms of what is important then versus now. I was just going to say just on that, um, when we were discussing this topic, actually, ahead of uh, recording this podcast today, I, uh, I, I dusted off a few old textbooks of mine that um, I'm sure Parky will have agreements and disagreements with. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing that, that grabs me that was really interesting was what we were talking about 10, 20 years ago, right? Um I can't. Uh, I can't say that uh, my career has been as, as long as uh, long and as illustrious as yours, Parky. However, um, when I started in two thousand and six, you know what what we were talking about then is very different than what we're talking about now. Uh, and I'll give you an example. So, this this the, the textbook I'm referring to is called "The Secrets of Economic Indicators." It was one of the first books I bought when I when I, I kind of came into banking, just to learn about what data releases were and, and how important they were. Uh, one of the first chapters is on the non-farm payrolls, which for the uninitiated amongst us are uh, released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics every month in the US. 
specifically from non-farming, i.e. non-seasonal uh, jobs, and it gives an indication as to employment in the USA. And, you know, the first chapter literally starts with, this is the big one, right? And, uh, you know, as you're probably all aware, you know, uh, of late, this piece of data has specifically meant a lot less, you know, purely because obviously COVID lockdowns is, is affected validity of that information but i decided to have a look back just just 10 years to see how as an example euro dollar had moved after such a release so 30 minutes after the data by how far as a percentage had euro dollar moved from where it was on the release of that data and you know going back to to march 2010 the first kind of three or four were, were 30 40 50 basis points 70 basis points in some instances, where if you, if you fast forward to the last kind of couple of years, there are very few readings above 20 basis points, i.e. the currency pair, the currency pairs are not moving by as much. I don't know whether, you know, this, this is something that charms a much your, your client base, Duncan and Ben. Uh, one of the things that I, I find interesting, are we getting better at, for, uh, before answering your question, Dickie, does, do you, are we better at forecasting? And so we have fewer surprises. Or are we, does the market, even when there is a surprise, care a bit less? I mean, I'll, 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 I'll come in on this. Uh, and, uh, and all I'll say is I think uh, we're not getting better at forecasting as much as we want to, uh, to, to sort of suggest that, that as a collective group economists are getting better at, at forecasting. I don't think the data backs that up. I think the difference is that we can absorb the data much more quickly than we were able to back when I started, because it was very much the case that back when I started, you didn't have the technology in terms of uh, dealing online. You didn't have the, uh, the sort of array of different pricing systems, et cetera. But more importantly as well, in terms of the information and how quickly it got into the mainstream market, it got into the mainstream market much less rapidly than it does now. Everybody knows when the data releases are. That's 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 primary of primary importance. More importantly as well, um, that, that, that they know what the market consensus is and they know sort of uh, what the range on those forecasts are. So I think in terms of our interpretation, we're able to interpret the data more quickly thanks to technology, but also thanks to being better prepared. I think, Parky, as well, um, it's more about um, the rest of the market is looking upstream of the market releases as well. So maybe once upon a time, an announcement hit the market and um, it had a huge impact. Now, I think, um, as we're looking upstream of that, um, these things are, are sort of, we, we get more previews of what's going on. And um, obviously, the, the sort of the archetypal information um, a blow to the market was, the, was, was the one in, in trading places. Um, now, as you said, Parky, you and I are about as old as each other, so we know that film trading places, but it was all to do with the orange crop report and the impact that had on the futures price. Um, I think these days, something like that would be less likely to happen because you probably have more people out on the ground uh, sort of scoping the information about the crop as it's growing in the ground, for example, and, and as it's being harvested and as it's been put on 
trains to be shipped. So none of these things, when the actual formal orange crop report hits the market, it's no longer really a surprise. It's been presaged the whole way through. Do, do you think that's a reasonable statement to make? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think the data back when I started in, in banking was all encompassing. That was the thing that everybody watched for. They weren't looking upstream. It was all about spot. Um, it was it was how the, the the spot rate would move and and consequently the data had the ability to significantly affect the the market now you're right it's not so much about the data itself it what it's what it means for monetary policy decisions it's what it means in terms of the decisions that governments are going to make it it may be also what it means with regard to those future trade deals that I was talking about. So it's it's more that the data drives future decisions, but probably doesn't drive them materially off course. And as a consequence, the reaction of markets is, is much less than it used to be. We're not focused on the now, we're focused on the future. Yeah, well, uh, certainly on, on the option side of things, um, as, as uh, anyone who talks to me about these things will, will hear me say, is that the um, the option market views uh, the future volatility of an exchange rate um, not so much as a, as a sort of a constant, but rather as a almost like a, an, a Manhattan skyline um, where a, a low rise building is uh, a, a very quiet or tranquil period in the market. So that's got low volatility. It might be a weekend or a, or a bank holiday. And a high rise building is something like uh, a, a G7 summit uh, or a central bank pronouncement. And over the years, certainly in the option market, what they do is they attribute weightings to each event. And those weightings are now a lot more similar to each other. The highs and the lows are no longer as far apart. And, and that's all consistent with what we're saying about the consumption of data and its impact on the market. I will say, Ben, on that, actually, it's a very interesting point because you know, harking back to the trading places example, you're right. It was like a lot of other data. It was the only thing that investors had, right? It was the the, the one kind of flag in the sand, if you like, or, or pointer as to where um, information was a coming from and b, you know, where things were, were going. And now, uh, I, I just like to look at a few examples of how this has evolved, and it's evolved quite significantly. If we talk about, let's just say in the, in the UK as an example, and, and you know, with lots of talk about COVID recently, um, post first lockdown, one of the things that we that, that economists were very keen on on trying to understand was was just how quickly people were getting back to normal. If if obviously there was such a thing, um, and for that we had to wait for consumer spending data. Of course, that is monthly in the UK. Office of National Statistics releases such data and it tends to look at a basket of goods. What we what we kind of didn't really think about was how have or how did those basket of goods evolve? What, what, what were consumer trends? But equally, alongside that, uh, Google started releasing things like uh, footfall data, so community mobility reports. This was almost real-time data tracking via people looking at Google Maps on their phones, all anonymized, all aggregated, um, is tracking basically people's habits, whether they were at home, they, they were going to shops, they were out in parks, 
So this was this was changing the way that people looked at data. Um, it's happening in emerging markets. India, as an example, uses satellite tracking data to look at El Nino effects on uh, monsoon season and whether onion prices are going to be high or low, which is a big component of the inflation basket over there. We're starting to see this consistent shift now to technology. And yeah, it, and it's it, funny you should, you should talk about the um, uh, satellites um, uh, spying on the weather and, and, and the impact on crops, because that comes back again to our trading places example, where even before the crop has been planted, you're starting to get an idea about um, the success or failure of it. So uh, it's incredible. But as you say, the, this, um, this transition to the drip drip of information, um, it didn't happen overnight. I'm thinking back to example, uh, even when CNN was started, um, that was a big breakthrough in terms of, of supplying the market with information on a more continuous basis, rather than say, waiting for the, the, you know, the 10 o'clock evening bulletin or the, or the morning newspaper. I mean, th these things, um, you know, that it's been a continuous uh, cycle um, whereby the, the, the flows of information have been more rapid and smaller than, than before, rather than being a, a sort of a stop start. And uh, yeah, Ben, you, you mentioned the drip drip of information. And I don't think we've, we've really touched on it completely, but you know, your, the regular central bank events and, and, and sort of, uh, those that are flagged, you know, it seems like the, the, the information is, is well signposted these days. How has that evolved over time? Because I, I, I believe that this was something that was very well scrutinized as well as the you know retail data and and, and the like uh historically i mean I, I'll, I'll jump in on this in terms of monetary policy decisions when i started um which is sort of back before i think duncan you 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 were out of nappies um the the, the business was was looking at much greater political interference in decision makings from a monetary policy perspective. And monetary policy decisions could have happened at any time. You know, there wasn't a clear timetable of when things, with with the, with the exception of the Bundesbank, who used to release more regularly, and we knew when the Bundesbank releases were. Um, for the Bank of England, it was a political decision. You know, that only changed in 1997. The, the decisions and releases now are well trailed. They were a total surprise back in the 90s. And even in the, in, in the, the 2000s, prior to the financial crisis of 2008, they, they weren't giving forward guidance about what they would do. They weren't telling you what indicators that they were watching. You were meant to make up your own mind independently, which is why the variance of forecasts was probably wider on these sorts of things than they are now, um, because you, you, you're getting all of the information. You talked about a drip drip of, uh, of information. You get a drip feed of information from various speeches, uh, from articles that are written. So central bankers are preparing the ground for what they're going to do to try and make it much, much less of a surprise. And let's not forget, right? we, we, we talk a lot of age banter in here, but um, it's relevant, you know, when, when back in your day when you're getting pieces of data by fax, uh, Parky, you know, now, now people tend to get them much quicker, i.e. Twi the, the Twitter sphere. Yep. 
I'll give you one one specific example, okay? Because that, that 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 I know there's a dig in there, but I'll I'll let it pass. Uh, I'll give you one specific example. When they started publishing the inflation report, the quarterly inflation report, okay, we had a courier at the Bank of England to courier it round to our offices, so we could then read it. You didn't get a a soft copy version on PDF or anything else or published to the Bank of England's website. So the only way you knew about what was in the inflation report was when the hard copy arrived on your desk. We actually were, we were very extravagant back in the day. We had two copies sent to us um, so that my boss at the time and myself could read through it and read through different sections to make sure that we, we were covering all of the ground in, in, in half the amount of time. So that's one specific example of how the information flow is much better. You wouldn't get significant headlines on the inflation report because the first time the journalists had seen it was probably about 20 minutes beforehand. And they just they were picking headlines out of it, but there wasn't really much detail behind the headlines for a long period of time because they hadn't been able to write all of their copy. So what's, um, what's going to be the future then, um, uh, Parky? So I'm thinking about a world potentially where inflation comes back uh, and with inflation coming back, does that mean that central bank announcements get, more, get the kind of importance um, placed upon them in terms of the, their impact on the market that they used to have back in the day 10, 15 years ago? Is that, is that a likely thing or so we, we left that world behind forever? I mean, I'd never say that we've left a world behind us forever. The world 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, looks completely at odds with the world that we have today. And if inflation does come back, I think that will pr provoke a strong response from central banks. But there is one sort of counterbalancing factor, which is that central banks now have a myriad of things that they're watching, not just inflation. They were targeting inflation before. They're now looking at the labor market. They're looking at average earnings growth. They're looking at GDP growth. They are targeted with meeting objectives, not only to control inflation, but to also not interfere with objectives of governments to restore economic activity to things like pre-pandemic levels or after the financial crisis, it was to restore economic activity as quickly as possible to uh, to pre-financial crisis levels. So I think the, the decision-making process among central banks is much more complex than it was going back to um, even sort of pre-2008. Actually, Barky, you know, it, not just on the central banking side, but, but from the client's perspective, you know, the institutions that I speak to, pension funds and insurance funds investing longer term money um, or, or looking at the big picture. They're not looking day to day at, you know, one off data releases that they want to build a, a longer term picture. And on the back of that, um, have many samples right, of data before making investment decisions, because, again, you know, it doesn't now investment decisions are made so that you and I can have a pension in, in 20, 30, 40 years time, not so that we can we can take advantage of the next 15, 20 pip move in, in euro dollar. So I've certainly noticed that myself, conversations I have with clients focus on, yes, they're looking on uh, high frequency data, but more now pulling in every source of, of data that they can, uh, whether that be 
again, Google Trends, Google Community Footfall data, um, you know, spending habits uh, as to electronic platforms, for example, digitization of currencies. Do you think that's the same with the corporate client base, Duncan? Absolutely, Dickie. And um, I get finally get around to answering your question from um, from earlier on in the in the podcast. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think this is very similar to, to corporates. The holistic um, view and, and long term big picture is is certainly um, more uh, more considered by the community. I think, it, of course, there are sort of specific sectoral um, data releases that I think will have specific interest. So. Retail sales, I'm sure retailers will will look at, but it wouldn't really affect them their market decisions uh, in the short term. I don't think. Um, I, it's, I it's it's certainly it's certainly the outcome of all of these things combined, which which will then affect decision making in, in in on sort of the broad sense. And I, I just want to come back and answer the the the, the point Ben made in terms of where do we go from here. Like it's not just about inflation or any of the other things that I've mentioned. What, what we've seen from central banks in recent years is, is in effect, yield curve control. You know, they're, they're looking to try and suppress yields across the curve because that's where actually corporates are, are borrowing. More importantly, in terms of where we go with regard to data and data analytics, you're going to get more real-time or, or near real-time data that's able to be digested by the authorities. And, and where will that data come from? It can come from consumer spending. If, if the technology continues to advance in the way that we anticipate that it will, then you will be able to, to analyze how consumers are feeling on a much uh, a quicker basis than getting a consumer confidence survey that's a, year, that's a, a month in arrears or even a few weeks in arrears. So think about being able to analyze data um, that tells you about, about real-time changes in consumer spending trends. Analyze data that tells you whether or not people are spending or saving, depending on how, that, how confident or, or pessimistic that they feel. Analyze data that tells you uh, where, the, where the next uh, big spending consumption explosion is going to come from. All of that will, will better inform our authorities, better inform them in terms of where to deploy not macroeconomic policy, not interest rates, but the micro policy that you're already seeing, where they're trying to adjust things like um, we saw with regard to when they thought that car loans were getting out of hand. So they, they adjusted policy there when they've tried to control lending into, into mortgages. You might be able to do that on a much more micro basis just because the data that we're able to consume in real time gets better and better and better. And that means that policy adjustments are, are potentially going to become more micro as well. Thank you, Parky. And I think that's a, a, just to summarise, it, it's still important, the data. And I think we've, we've certainly concluded that it's evolved and technology has been a huge disruptor of this. And um, it's, it's going to be exciting to see how um, how it how it continues um, in into the future. I think where where the the big market impacts occur are going to be as well the the big market events that sit outside of this data sphere, and uh, we will discuss this in our next podcast podcast three. And um, thank you everyone for for listening. Thank you.
Thank you.